It's a beautiful thing when music becomes exactly what we needed it to be. I'm Brad Rose. Welcome to a new episode of the Seltzer Salon. This week, I am talking to the one, the only, Danny Paul Grody about his new album, Arc of Day, on Three Lobe Records. It's it's his first album since 2021's Furniture Music 2, which is an album I absolutely love and adore. Uh, I wrote pretty extensively about that album a couple years ago, but this album is just, it's a really wonderful listening experience. Uh, the spirit of collaboration that runs through it and this just there's like this really communal feeling to it and i don't know every time i listen to it i come away with this feeling of gratitude and as somebody who's followed danny's work for many many years and his various projects this one really hit me in a special way so really excited to have him on the show um and yeah let's play a a little piece from the album and then we'll get into the interview So my guest today is Danny Paul Grody, who has a new album, Arc of Day, that is going to be out on June 16th. This may be airing before or after, I'm not quite sure, So, um, but it's on Three Lobed. And Danny, how's it going? Good, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really excited to talk about the record. And um, let's kind of start with, I don't know, well, I was going to say something simple, but this may actually not be simple at all. Um I like I really love the title of the record. Can you talk a little bit just about the like where the name came from or the inspiration for the title? Oh, sure. I'm glad that you like the name. I agonized over that one for a while there. <laughs> um kind of twofold. Um let's see if I can consolidate this down and not be too long-winded. We went into the studio with a, a just a ton of music, ton of material and Whenever I go into the studio, especially with my collaborator, Rich, in times past, we have a method of always setting aside some extra time for things that can't be planned for. And Mm -hmm. inevitably, that ends up being a lot of the material that's exciting and most exciting for us. And so in the other end of the sessions, we ended up with a surplus of material that... um, couldn't fit into a standard LP format. And uh, as we were starting to kind of sift through the all of the different tracks and bits, we started to f- sort of formulate these um, themes. And we started working um, more formally on the record during like right in the thick of it in the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly it helped to shape Um, some of the feeling in the music, but I think more than anything, it was just a chance to connect, reconnect with a, with a good friend and play music and get out of the house and have a routine that was, was broke up the pattern. And, um, it was very much, you know, a daytime process. We were working out of his garage when we could. And, um, a lot of the material that we started with was 
was acoustic in nature for that reason because we couldn't get too loud. We were kind of <laughs> testing the waters. And so the the sort of foundation of the record was much was sort of centered around this acoustic work. And um, so there was that side of the recording. And then there was a lot of more amplified material that took on a slightly different tone. And as we were starting to kind of make sense of it all, we realized that this first kind of body of work that ended up becoming Arc of Day felt like it was daytime music and it encapsulated kind of Mm. like the daytime hours. And so as we started to sequence and shape it, we thought a lot about time and just the way in which time has shaped our realities in the last few years, um, pandemic aside, as well as the pandemic, right? So thinking about the passage of time, but also the the sort of like chance to be um, be out, be in the day and, and create during the day and how that might have taken, you know, come to influence some of the material. Um, and so that's where we went with it. We went with this this theme of, of time and, and within the span of a day. And um, the other material um, will find a home and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hold it off from details with that, but it's going to, it's going to be released as well. And it will be kind of following a different theme, but similar as to the arc of day. Yeah. I like, I like the idea of it as daytime music and I can see that I can like there to me, there's this like sonically, there's definitely sort of a, this narrative to it, but even like conceptually for sure to me there, I feel like there's a real vulnerability in, in the music. Um, that like it's, I, I found the record really sort of moving and really comforting, but in the end it also, I, I there's a sort of almost joyfulness to it. Um, which like, and I'm just thinking of this like passage of time and it's this, getting through because i think it talked about this in the description this sort of um isolation and re-emergence as a and so i i guess i kind of gone a million different places with this question but <laughs> like i guess how how did sort of those experiences with isolation and grief and then coming through that and like how did that maybe inform the music or the songwriting on the album or even just the, I don't know the, the yeah. I, I mean, you kind of talked about that a little bit, but I'm. Yeah, I can, I can speak to what some of where you're going. I think, um, uh, I think for one, just being able to, um, play music with Rich Douthit, who was, you know, central, he was integral mm-hmm. to, to this to this music and we have a long history collaborating over the years in a band called the drift. So we have kind of a methodology and a familiarity, but things had take, you know, been on hold between us in terms of our musical collaboration for some time. And a lot of that pause had to do with grief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to disclose too much because it's not really for me to do that, but, Sometimes we have to take a break and when we're ready, we come back around. So there was a lot of fits and starts around when ready was. Hmm. 
and um, and it just happened to kind of overlap during during the pandemic that the 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 point in which we were ready to mm-hmm. to come back around um, and and really commit to to making music, not to make a record, but just to right. make music, just to be together and to share in the joy of making and creating. And I think out of that, it just sort of naturally there's going to be, um, for me, speaking for myself, music has always been like the most direct channel to communicate where I'm at, mm-hmm. where I'm at as, mm-hmm. as authentically as possible. I don't do it so well in other, you know, kind of forms of expression. I think music is probably my, my, my truest, most pure way of, of conveying where I'm at. And so, um, it's, it's a real honor to be able to share that with someone like Rich, who I think is also very, he's such a deep listener and he's so present. And it's, it's, it's always like when you, there's something like almost sacred when we start playing mm-hmm. music together that is just, you just, it's there and we've shared it for a long time. So it was great to be able to, to reconnect and be ready to do it in such a way. And then for it to kind of, um, just naturally evolve into what became the record, um, arc of day. So I think that, you know, the grief is in there, Yeah, you know, cause it's like, uh, it's a place for it to land um, and it's a place for it to be expressed in some way or another. It's not super explicit or direct, but it's there, sure. but there's joy too. There's catharsis. There's like all the feelings are in there and um, Absolutely. no holds barred, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that's, I like, I relate to that a lot. Music has always been the place where I sort of process and even I don't know, understand things I'm feeling or things I'm dealing with or, um, it's, yeah, I, I like the description of it as sacred because it does feel like at time, like, and not all the time, like I'm not, but there are times where it does feel like this very sacred space. Um, and I think that's like a really beautiful description. Um, so you kind of, you talked about this a little bit. So when you and Rich, like you said, you guys were just kind of getting together to play. Cause it had, you know, it had been a while and it w- was there a certain point where you realized like, Oh, I think we might be making, <laughs> have a record to make here or like, cause I'm guessing that wasn't maybe really the intention to begin with. Yeah. I think that, um, it's one of those things, Brad, where like you kind of have, you have a hope that this will lead to something, but, mm-hmm. um, the, the most exciting, um, aspect of it was that we were getting back into a room in real time and making sound together. And Mm -hmm. I was just trying to be as, um, you know, kind of with that process as much as possible without trying to force a pressure or um, outcome into the, into the process. But as we started to, you know, I think it was more like, how can we, we started with sort of uh, certain intentions, like, Oh, it'd be nice to to see how we how how far we can take just an acoustic palette. Mm-hmm. How far can we go with that without bringing in additional voices, layers, musicians, and just see where we can go with just in, uh, you know mm-hmm. the acoustic instruments? And how can we pare down the percussion and work with that in a more creative manner than maybe you would with a standard drum kit 
So we're trying to push each other creatively. And that was sort of an impetus for us as a foundational framework. And then I think that as that started to make more sense for us, it it was feeling very um, good. And and we wanted to then that like the idea started to bubble up and we got less rigid about the rules or whatever, you know, (laughs) and we started to, you know, I got my amp down there, got my guitar, my electric guitars and pedals and, you know, kind of brought back in certain um, ways of working that were reminiscent of the past. And, you know, we had very explicit discussions about how we could, um, how we might be able to kind of marry my solo work with, with something, something like what we shared, maybe some of the DNA can be in there, but, but really Mm -hmm. careful not to retread. But honoring that past and allowing it to come through. So it just kind of like, it was sort of just a building thing. And there was a certain point, not too long after playing, maybe a couple of months where we started to have more conversations about where this could go. And then Corey and I started a separate conversation from Three Lobed. And I I asked if Rich would would be interested in part, you know, being a part of this. And Yeah. yeah, so he was on board and that was, that's how it all. That's great. Very, sounds very serendipitous. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it really did. It was. And that's where um, it's like where timing is really interesting to me. Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, there. yeah, that's sometimes the, these things just happen in a sort of magic way. <laughs> totally. And you just kind of jump on it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of collaborators, there's, couple others that are just wonderful artists who are on the album and want to make sure to name them so chuck johnson trevor montgomery jonathan seeloff you got it yeah yes (laughs) i just i just saw it in my screen i was like oh i should ask about that one but um so like i I guess two-part question here is like how did how did they get involved and how, how did do you feel like how did their sort of contributions sort of maybe alter or enhance the spirit of the record? Um, so another part of the conversation with Rich that sort of was a, a little bit of an ex, uh, an extension to what we were doing was that as we were starting to form our ideas, it became more um, evident that it would be, it would be worth exploring, like expanding the, the palette and bringing other voices in. So the f- naturally my brain went to Trevor Montgomery um, mm-hmm. simply because we have like with Rich a long history of collaborating together and it was a, just another opportunity to rope him into something and, <laughs> and, and do, do some music together. Um, he had not long before, maybe a year or so prior to us getting together, Rich and I, Trevor moved to New Zealand from San Francisco with his wife and daughter. So it was an interesting opportunity to work really long distance and keep that, keep that creative dialogue going together. And something that Rich remarked on when Trevor started sending us his ideas back from, from our studio sessions was that um, it felt like it grew there. And I totally resonated with that because it, it it's like that thing that comes along with years of working with somebody where there's that kind of musical telepathy and right. so trevor's just one of those people he's like uh 
a traveler that I've grown from, you know, early years in Tarantel making music with. And when I knew, when I knew that I wanted to have a bass element, he was the, he was so clearly the person I wanted to involve. Mm -hmm. And it was such a natural process. Um, and it, and it also was surprising what, you know, what he did send back on some of the, particularly on California Angelica, which is a song that was right on the verge of not being on the record at all. Oh, wow. Until, until, <laughs> until basically Jonathan and Trevor sent me their parts. And suddenly the song came to life in ways that I could never have imagined, which is what collaboration should oh, be fantastic. in my mind. So yes. it was like the best case scenario was like giving life and form to this sort of skeletal piece that was nice, but it was just, they took it to a whole nother place that only they could have done. And um, Jonathan was somebody that's been on my bucket list ever since I laid ears on his playing in Golden Retriever and the duo Golden Retriever mm-hmm. with Matt who are just, just otherworldly, amazing musicians. Um, and Jonathan, I know, um, sends, you know, occasionally on like, you know, you know, Instagram or whatnot, little snippets of what he's doing solo. And I've always been like trying to push him. I'm sure everybody who knows him is in his orbit trying to push him to do something solo. But, um, I did, I did throw, you know, the, the, the invitation out there and he was really, really, um, generous and really excited about it. And it just excited me that much more. Um, Mm -hmm. and anyone who's collaborated with Jonathan knows that he's, he is generous and I'm not kidding. He, he goes deep. He offers in an immense amount of time and thoughtfulness. And I I just was astounded by the amount of material he sent me. It was quite difficult in a way to, to, sift through and, 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 and have to edit out because it's all so good. He would send me harmonies, loops, um, oh, wow. you name it. <laughs> he spent so much time and it was so it's selfless, incredible. but it came to really profoundly shape the direction of the, of the record. That's uh, I can't even imagine this record without California Angelica. That's amazing. <laughs> and, oh, cool. Yeah. Without that track. Yeah. Me too. Now yeah. I feel like it's sort of an interesting anchor that kind of helps to describe really the, like, I don't know the, the, the foundation, like I said, mm-hmm. it's, it, that song was one of the first things that Rich and I did that sort of propelled us forward. <laughs> and then it ended up almost not making the cut. And then there it is. So that's great. That's uh, Yeah. I was really excited when I saw that uh, Jonathan's on here because I'm I, like I know and love Golden Retriever and that's mainly the context I have for him and so hearing him in this out like it felt like a very kind of different sp- sonic space and it it just it kind of like opens for for those who are maybe in the same boat like it just opens your ears to oh my gosh this guy could. Yeah, he needs to do a solo record. <laughs> Jonathan is not fucking around. Excuse my language, but he's he's a uh, he's a consummate, you know. And it, what he's what what astounds me is his adaptability, his willingness to kind of. I just can't believe he was able to pick up on these like the kind of cues that you would expect in a room with someone. Mm-hmm. He was picking up on from Portland, as if he was in the room with us. It was really wild. Um. 
And I, yeah, so I'm so grateful. And then Chuck, Chuck is somebody that I've admired like Jonathan for so long um, as a guitarist and as a person. And we've gotten mm-hmm. to know each other over the years and our label mates and have had done some touring together. I've always wanted to bridge the gap, get him, you know, get something creatively happening. So this was just another chance to, to bring someone into the fold that I admire that I think could could be an interesting um, voice. And he was yeah. he was game and I was grateful for that. He he found himself on one track of the record, Cathedral Tree. Um, however, he's on a ton of the material that I mentioned that is not mm. on this particular album, but will find its way in the next release. Um, so Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so it's it's got a lot of cont- contribution there. That's great. Um, I guess this is kind of a general question, but what what was sort of the most challenging part of like writing and making this record? That's a good question. I think it was similar. It's always a similar process for me. Uh, the challenge mm-hmm. is how do I how do I not make the same record again. That is something that um, is very, very important for me to try and build from. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if the elements from the past are in there for me, but Mm -hmm. I do feel like I I owe it to just the, the idea of, of what it means to put something new out that I'm also trying stepping outside of my normal ways of working, trying something new and allowing myself to be surprised Hmm. and um, feel as though I'm in some way building or offering something different, a slightly different angle or, or perspective on what it is that interests me musically. And so Mm -hmm. I always get to this point where it's like, the familiar is so evident that it's over. It, it becomes almost like, oh, shoot, I'm having this crisis of confidence, you know? I know it well. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think yeah, so Brad, you know this. You know this as an artist and a musician. And I think anyone who's creatively inclined or, or sort of looking to, I don't know, there's sort of just an ineffable quality to being an artist or a musician. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of folks can relate to where you're constantly reaching for something that is just outside of grasp. And it's the grasping that is what allows us to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that grasping is like, okay, you know, there's something more here. What is it? And how can I, how can it, I make sense of it? How can we, in this case, make sense of it? And so the we right. part was, you know, really the, the, the thing that allowed that to really um, take form and, 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 and give me the sense that that is something that I was, you know, I could do is by bringing other voices into the room. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, not making the same damn record again, <laughs> right? I don't want to yeah. make another record that sounds like the last one. So how, how does that need to look? And, and um, so, you know, that's where it became difficult is like, you know, we've, we've, we've started working Rich and I, and there was a lot of um, familiar templates happening. So, you know, okay, you know, <laughs> let's, let's have a little like, um, I don't know, 
like a meeting of minds so that we can be aware of, of not falling back on, on habits too much, too heavily. So yeah. it was great having that, that, that camaraderie, that, that extra outside perspective, you know, like with, yeah. Rich, with Rich in particular, he's such a clear mind. He doesn't get too bogged down in the obsessive details like I can. So he kind of has a very clear, I appreciated it, you know, along the way. He helped me kind of get out of the echo chamber a lot. Yeah, I I know that echo chamber well. And I know I, I've had in various points of my life those people who just like snap you out of it. And yeah, yeah, it's. There are times when if, if those people weren't there, I would probably still be in that. <laughs> like, um, that's great. And I, I, yeah, I really love the, I, I think that, that sort of, yeah, that collaborative spirit is such a present thing on the record. And it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's really great. I, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. So, um, Real quick, I have to ask. I know, like, I wanted to make this mainly about the new record, but I have to ask about the furniture music releases because I absolutely adore them so much. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm just like, when did that idea kind of come to mind? And like, are there? Do you have any future installments planned? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm, that was uh, one of the earliest kind of seeds for my identity as a solo musician it, it stems back even pre-fountain which was the first full length that i put out with root strata oh, i was wow. working out my relationship with you know an acoustic guitar kind of finding my way into fingerstyle and mm-hmm. um became really fascinated with this this concept that was um I think it was originally coined by Eric Satie, the French right. pianist and composer, um, which I'm not going to try and butcher the French, but it translates to furniture music. Um, um, w- in an essence, you know, trying to kind of make music that exists, u- almost u- utilitarian music, um, like an object in a room that can be engaged with, but can also be just in the room. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I was interested in Brian Eno. I still am, and I think he built on that concept with ambient music. And just you mm-hmm. know, there's so many different folks that have consciously and subconsciously um, drawn from that um, way of working. And so, as I was sort of finding my identity, and not that I've found it, <laughs> but continue, <laughs> um, but early on, you know. And, the early yeah. early period of my development with acoustic guitar, fingerstyle guitar, that was that was a fascination of mine, and it mm-hmm. and it kind of never went away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had a bunch of songs that were written around that time that some friends of mine, in particular, actually Jeff Cantu and Maxwell um, August Croy, um, who who ran Root Strata, were encouraging of me from the get-go with um, continued to, to support the idea of putting something out that's just really kind of bare bones. And the, the opportunity finally came when my partner, Kenrick, and I, out of total sheer luck, were invited to do a, a music residency at a – my partner's a classically trained uh, singer 
and mm. trombonist and composer. And we both were kind of like randomly went to a Lou Harrison documentary here in the city by a filmmaker named Eva Soltz, who has, um, t- was a good friend of Lou Harrison's and took over his estate and mm. eventually created a artist residency in Joshua tree where the Harrison house was built, um, under the direction oh, wow. of Lou Harrison himself, um, as a hay straw bale or hay bale house. It's sort of like a little chapel in the middle of the high desert in Joshua tree built for acoustics, <laughs> but also as sort of a, a refuge late in life for him to kind of, he was a naturalist and he would spend a lot of time in his later years there. And she took over and turned it into residency. And we met her at the, at the opening of this film in, in the city. And these two elder gay men were curious about us and they started talking to us and we were, there was just so warm and there was just like kind of this intergenerational appreciation happening between them and us at this opening and they were friends of Eva Saltz and I believe they were friends of Lou Harrison's and that that kind of triggered a conversation between them and Eva Saltz the filmmaker which led to a chain of emails that led to an invitation for us to do a 10-day residency and that's where I recorded all of this old oh material <laughs> and that's where furniture music the first release um, was recorded and conceived ultimately. And then um, some years later, I decided to put a second one out. And this was a pandemic record. Um, uh, I, I will never call it that because that's something that no. I think we're all kind of like, okay, yeah. But that's that's right. where I made the space to, to, to sit with new material um, to make gotcha. the Furniture 2 record. But I, I, love, I love the challenge of working that way. I love the sort of simple pureness of working just mm-hmm. with acoustic guitar and I will absolutely continue to do releases under that that sort of awesome. project I don't know when the next will be but sure. there's there's lots of there's lots of material floating around so I'm glad that you that it resonates for you that that means a lot to hear yeah that was I think I wrote about the second one when it came out because it just when it I remember when I first heard it, I just couldn't stop listening to it. And it was, you know, I mean, that was, it was just a weird time and it felt like this sort of place that I could just go and just be in a quiet moment to myself. And, um, yeah. Mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, I'm glad to hear that future editions may happen someday. So. (laughs) It it definitely, it's a part of, what I do that I really enjoy and have come to really appreciate carving out that sort of intentional way of working. So I love, yeah, I love yeah. to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I think we can wrap it up there. Thanks again for sitting here and talking to me and deal, working through all the technical issues that nobody heard. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, it was worth it. It's worth it. Uh, now, oh, now yeah. I have a new skill set. Yeah, there you go. Put it on your resume. There you go. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking with you, though, Brad. I really appreciate your, you know, your thoughtful questions and your interest. And um, thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to share the music, the album, with with folks. And awesome. And yeah, so the album "Arc of Day," June sixteenth on Three Lobed. Get out there, get a copy, everybody. 
<laughs> all right all right danny well uh take it easy you too brad That little snippet there was from California Angelica, which is just such a stunning piece of music. And it's uh, when he said that it almost didn't make the album, it really blew my mind because I, I feel like it's this really integral piece of this really beautiful record. So thanks again to Danny Paul Grody for taking the time to talk to me um, and please give his give the new album a listen. Arc of Day. It is out now on Three Lobe Records on vinyl, digital stream it wherever you can, but you know, it's, it's worth spending some time with. That's it for today. Until next time, have a good one. And we'll see you later.